0: And our reading this evening comes from John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be plainly seen, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Once
1: upon a time, a great and wise king ruled a populous and prosperous land. But a plague of poverty came upon the land, and no man knew its cause. There were great, and mighty and inconclusive arguments in the halls of government. And learned greybeards in the schools advocated this remedy or that. The king, seeing that his people were starving and distressed in the midst of plenty, called his wisest counsellors from the four quarters of the kingdom. The king listened long to the inconclusive disputations of his advisers And then demanded that they create a short and simple text on economics that he could read and understand. This would enable him to save his kingdom. Unfortunately, the advisors required a year, and the resulting opus was 87 volumes long with 600 pages per volume. The angry king responded by executing half of his economic experts and again ordered the construction of a brief text on the subject. Sadly, the advisers repeatedly failed to perform this task, although the length of the document did shorten over time as the number of advisers shrank. Finally, only one economist remained. And he stood before the king in fear and trembling and quavered, "'Your Majesty, I've reduced this subject of economics to a single sentence.' In nine words is distilled all the wisdom of the economists who once practised in your realm. Here it is. There is no such thing as a free lunch. The phrase free lunch originated in 19th century America where saloons and taverns would attract customers by offering free food, but only if you bought a drink first. So it wasn't really a free lunch, particularly of course as the price of food was built in to the price of the drinks. These days you can go online and visit websites like Latest Free Stuff, which lists all the kinds of free offers that are online from retailers who use this marketing ploy to get people to sign up and provide their contact details on the website. And actually though you do seem to get something for nothing, there is still a system of exchange operating. You get free goods, that's true, but they get your contact details and any other information you may care to provide when you sign up. And also they get the opportunity to send you advertising stuff in response for your signing up for their free offer. So with all our worldly wisdom and knowledge that there really is no such thing as a free lunch, What do we make of the claim that Jesus offers us eternal life as a free gift with no strings attached? That's the message of John 3.16. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And many people hearing the message of the free gift of God being eternal life in Christ Jesus stop and say, but where's the catch? Because we know there's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone's got to be paying for this somewhere along the line. So who's paying? And what's in it for them? The answer to that question is that if there is a price to be paid at all, then Jesus is the one who's already paid it in full. And that's why the offer of eternal life is genuinely free to you. He bore the cost of the gift by laying down his life so that you could have eternal life. In effect, his death redeems us from our death. So, the cost of your eternal life has already been paid for in full by Jesus. And there is no clause hidden in the small print to catch you out later on. Psalm 49 confronts us with some hard truths about our mortality. A person can never redeem himself, it says. He cannot pay God the price for his life because the payment for a human life is too great. What, could, what he could pay would never be enough to keep him from the grave, to let him live forever. How true those words are. You may be able to redeem your life from another human being, but when God requires your life from you, then the resources you have at your disposal to cut some kind of deal are absolutely zero. And that applies to all the inhabitants of the world, great and small alike, rich and poor together. They are doomed to die like sheep and death will be their shepherd, says the psalmist. Their bodies quickly decay in the world of the dead far from their homes. Gruesome stuff and all the more unpalatable unpalatable for being quite true. But the psalmist continues, but God will rescue me. He will save me from the power of death. He will ransom me. He will redeem me. When we come face to face with death, there is nothing any of us can do. We are utterly powerless to redeem our lives. But the good news is that God is the one who redeems our lives for us. He pays the price. And he's already done so through his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for many, to redeem us, to buy us back for God, to rescue us from death. So, no, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Yes, there is a price that must be paid. But the truth of the matter is that the cost of redeeming your life has been paid for you in full by Jesus. Free to you, the cost borne by Him. That's grace. Okay, then we want to know, so what does God get out of making this free offer available to us? Especially when the cost is so great to himself, the the life of his own son in exchange for ours. What's in it for God? And the answer is, you are. You are. God offers you eternal life because he wants you to share it with him. Why does he want you to have eternal life? Because he loves you. And because he loves you, he doesn't want you to perish. It is as simple and as straightforward as that. Love that gives without counting the cost. Because it's love. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him May not die, but have eternal life. God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son that everyone who believes in him may not die. Other translations have anyone who believes in him may not die. Others have whoever believes in him may not die. Differences in style, but the meaning is the same. It's a universal offer made available without exception to anyone and everyone, because God loved the world so much that he gave his only son for each and every one of us, all 7.5 billion of us. It's hard for us to get our heads around that many people. But for our purposes tonight, the one thing that needs emphasising is simply that if the offer is truly available to everyone, then it's certainly available to you. God loved you so much that He gave His one and only Son, so that by leaving in him, by believing in him, you might not perish but instead be rescued for eternal life. So the offer is there. The question then is if we want to take it up, what do we need to do? And the answer is simply that we need to believe in jesus it 's quite plainly there again in john three hundred sixteen God gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Ah, you say, well, there's the catch. I do need to do something after all. And well, yes, you do. To the extent that you do need to take God up on the offer, he's made available to you through Jesus. The offer does require a response on our part. And it does so because the the bottom line is that this is all about relationship. Relationship. It's all about God's love for us. God wants us to be with him in heaven because he enjoys our company. Surprisingly enough, he really does like you. Knowing God, spending time with God, spending eternity with God, actually, is part and parcel of eternal life. And you may not want to know God, in which case that's precisely what the other place is for. But it's because God wants a relationship of love and trust with us that he asks us to make a response of faith to him rather than shipping us all automatically into heaven whether we want to be there or not. Because if heaven is full of people who really don't want to be there then it's not going to be heaven, is it? So yes, God does look for a response from us and the response he looks for is simply one of faith in his Son. One of the best-known stories about how faith works is that of Blondin, the famous tightrope walker, who crossed the Niagara Falls pushing a wheelbarrow. He asked the watching crowd whether they thought he'd be able to make it across with a person inside the wheelbarrow. And they all roared their affirmation and approval. And then he said, "Okay, who's coming with me then? And then the crowd fell silent. They all believed he could do it in theory, None of them wanted him to do it in practice for them. The story goes that eventually a little old lady came forward and accepted Blondin's offer to wheel her across the tightrope. And when she safely got to the other side, the excited onlookers asked her how she'd been able to be brave enough to trust Blondin to get her over safely. Well, that was easy, she replied. He's my son. So I knew I could trust him not to let me fall. I know I can trust him not to let me fall. That's what faith in Jesus is all about. Imagine if you like the transition from this life to the next as if it were a tightrope across the abyss. There is no chance that either you or I would ever make it safely across because we lack the skill and the strength. But Jesus has made that crossing safely already. Through his death and resurrection, he's made the transition. He's already crossed over. He's the one who laid down his life, entered death, and came out safely on the side of eternal life. And now he offers to ferry you safely to the other side as well. He'll get you there safely if you ask him to, because he wants you to make it. The only barrier is whether we're prepared to trust him or not. And that's where faith comes in. That's why it's important actually, however young you are, however distant the idea of eternal life might be, to say, I'm prepared to put my trust in Jesus and make a step of commitment to him now. Because then you have a lifetime to get to know and trust him in all sorts of situations. To realise that he's faithful. That he won't let you go. He won't let you down. And when you've done that and you've proved him trustworthy time and time again, and your time is up, and he says to you, okay, are you ready to cross the tightrope now? You can say yes, because you know him. And you know that you can trust him, because he's been faithful to you all these years. And you know that his offer to get you to the other side is for real. And you will know that because at some point you heard and believed the good news that God loved the world so much that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. Who knows, maybe 6th of August 2017 is the day on which you say to Jesus, okay, I trust you now. I'm putting my life in your hands because when we entrust ourselves to him he's promised he will never let us go he will not let you fall he will not let you perish he will give you eternal life it's an offer signed and sealed with nothing less than his own blood Jesus matters because he offers us Eternal life. He's the only one qualified to do so. And if we trust him, he keeps us for eternity.